Hello, and thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Milou. And I'm Amalia. Welcome to Food of the Future, a podcast about alternative protein sources made by five honor students of Wageningen University and Research. Today, we are going to talk about another unique novel food, microalgae. First, we are going to introduce you briefly into this topic, and later we will have a very interesting interview with Rafael Cubero, who works at Algae Park Research Facility. Amalia, can you maybe first explain what the difference is between microalgae and macroalgae? Yes, microalgae are microscopic organisms. This means they can be seen by human eyes. They grow both in the sea and in freshwater, and they can reproduce fast. Microalgae is different from macroalgae. Macroalgae is known as an edible seaweed and is visible to the human eye. Macroalgae food products include, um, for example, algae and sushi, so nori and wakame. And can you explain to the audience why we chose to research microalgae? So from the research we did, we know there are more micronutrients in microalgae than in macroalgae. Since these micronutrients are very important for the health of our cells, we think microalgae is more promising as a food source. And this is why we decided to dedicate this episode to it. Okay, that sounds good. Can you explain more about the health benefits of microalgae? Microalgae has a very high protein content. Conventional meats range in protein content between 15 and 25% in dry matter. And some microalgae species can reach up to 70% in dry matter. Also, the composition of amino acids in microalgae meet the requirements from the World Health Organization. To clarify, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. So, and there are certain amino acids that our body can't produce, and these are called essential amino acids. And microalgae uh, meets WHO requirements. So it's therefore very important for us because it provides us with these essential amino acids. But what about the bioavailability? That's an interesting question. So bioavailability is the portion of amino acids that actually ends up in our system. And this depends on how microalgae is consumed. So the different ways of cooking, what is eaten with it. And this also changes from person to person. The bioavailability of proteins in plants is often a bit lower than the bioavailability of proteins in meat. And one of the reasons for this is that plants contain cell walls. These cell walls need to be broken down in order for our body to take up the nutrients. And our body cannot always do that, so certain nutrients will leave our body without being taken up into our system. It would be nice to find out if this is also the case in microalgae. We should ask a specialist later. But first, do you know whether microalgae can already be found in products in the supermarket? Actually, yes. It can be found as a nutritional supplement or a protein powder. Um, for example, you may have heard of spirulina protein powder. Spirulina is a type of microalgae, but microalgae is not yet used as a full protein replacement. I wonder why this is. So let's try to investigate this. Do you think this is because it's hard to get them allowed by the law? Well, in the EU, there are certain foods that are subject to the novel food re- legislation, 
Um, and it's a legislation that describes uh, the situation of foods that are originating from plants, animals, etc., which are not produced or used before 1997. And to place such foods in the market, um, an application must be submitted. This is not the case of microalgae because it's considered uh, by the EU as significantly consumed before 1997. Um, so it's not subject to novel foods uh, regulation and it's allowed for human consumption. Okay, so the law shouldn't really be a problem. Is it then maybe because people aren't willing to eat it? Well, it is true that some people are a bit scared because microalgae is still a new and unknown food source. However, from uh, research, we learned that most consumers have a positive view on algae and they perceive it as healthy and sustainable. So if algae is promoted and the benefits are clearly communicated, consumers will probably be happy to buy algae products. Okay, and... Do you know if it is sustainable and feasible to produce algae at a large scale? Well, the cultivation capacity of microalgae is currently relatively small and inefficient, and there is little experience with large-scale cost-effective production. However, more and more research is done to optimize the algae production, so in the future it might become a sustainable production process. And can you maybe explain how algae is produced? Right now, there are four main types of bioreactors. The first one is a raceway pond. It's a large open pond where mixing takes place using paddle wheels. The second bioreactor that can be used is a horizontal tube reactor. This is a closed system where there are single layers of horizontal tubes. The third bioreactor that can be used is a vertical stacked horizontal tube reactor. It's basically the same as a horizontal tube reactor, but there are more layers of horizontal tubes. Finally, the fourth option is a flat panel photobioreactor. This is also a closed system, but it is constructed from a series of flat parallel plates. The closed systems are more promising since there are reduced harvesting costs compared to open bioreactors. And certain factors like temperature and light can be better controlled. However, there are some constraints. For example, problems like overheating, which can be lethal to microalgae, or oxygen buildup can occur. These problems can all be solved, but this gives higher costs to the final product. I have to say that this all sounds very interesting. So let's dive deeper into the production process of growing microalgae and ask a specialist. Welcome, Rafael. Thank you for joining our podcast. Um, we know you are a resistant assistant at Algae Park. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your job is, what Algae Park is, what your connection to microalgae is? Okay, uh, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to speak here in this podcast. Uh, my name is Rafael, although everybody know, uh, called me Rafa. Um, I'm a research assistant uh, here in Wageningen. I'm originally from Spain, from Sevilla, and it's already quite a long time ago that I moved here. So I started doing my PhD in Sevilla in microalgae. I really like the idea of doing different products out of the algae. 
I learned a lot of things there, how to do the scaling up, downstream process, and so on. I defined it, and I came here to start doing my, my postdoc. And that was almost 10 years ago. Uh, so my job, my daily, daily task here is to be in charge of the daily routine, routine in algebra, also to take care of, of the students, PhD students, master students, bachelor students, internships. And the idea behind of algebra, uh, it was built like 10, 12 years ago. The idea was to, to try to uh, fill this gap that always exists between lab experiments and a really large scale production of microalgae. There is always there a big gap that generally uh, the researchers find used to find quite good numbers and promising promising data, but uh, the companies don't go. Yeah, it doesn't go to 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 lab scale. They wanted to already to start producing, so there was always there uh, like an imbalance between what universities were offering and what industry uh, will need. So that is the idea of, of my of algebraic. So our main goal is that is to somehow to translate the, the lab findings in a more industrial relevant situations. Uh, we have here uh, everything needed to 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 let's say between brackets to, to sell uh, our results to to different companies. Algebraic started uh, with a lot of different companies involved. Uh, from different, let's say, different fields, from in the industries dedicated to, to biofuels or to energy, uh, food industries as well, chemical industry, pharma industry, because they were really interested in this promising world of microalgae. Um, it's true that from a historical point of view, microalgae has been used in different populations along the, the history, but generally not used in Europe, and generally has been only used for food production. And that's been in Mexico or, or also in Africa. So industry knows that there is some big potential there, but it still has not been developed that potential. And all this story in more a systematic way, in more a scientific way, started in the latest of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, so still there is a big gap to, to improve, to show, and so yes. on. Yeah, so what you're doing here is researching on trying to produce microalgae at a scale for industries, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, trying to be more pragmatic, um, um, between brackets, honest to the industry. In lab, you obtain really, really good results, but the scales were speaking about milliliters. Yeah. So we need to translate that to the big investors. And yeah. So we have conducted some research, uh, mm -hmm. and we know there are four techniques to use to grow microalgae. Uh, so palms, uh, horizontal tubular, vertical stack horizontal tubular, and flat panels photobioreactors. Mm -hmm. Are any of these techniques used at Algae Park? Are there any other techniques? All of them are used in, in Algae Park, because the idea was also, or, or I mentioned you, uh, the idea was to compare different types of production systems in such a way to make later the economics and to decide what was the most useful 
reactor for each specific compound. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there are every year there are companies and also research institutions that they are coming to, to, to congress or conferences with new ideas of systems. That's what I told you. It's a, a, a race, a competition race that started barely one hundred years ago, one hundred fifty years ago. So it's still there is a lot of discussion inside of the microalgal community about what is the best design of reactor because in microalgae, by the in the, in the biotechnology of microalgae, there are like a kind of two big forces: the biologic side and also the engineering side. And both they both need to be engaged and working together. But it's very true that. At the end of the day, we are coming from really, really different worlds. So there always there is some misunderstandings, and I'm a biologist, so there are things that the injuries don't follow me, and they go the way around. Okay. There are things of the injury inside world that, for me, are out of, of my background. Uh, so every year they are generating new, new types of reactors, new designs, and so on. Yeah, we have, what you were mentioning, raceways, there are open ponds, there are reactors with a really, really large uh, volume, uh, but we don't control any specific conditions there. Uh, people have to think about like a pool with a whirlpool moving just water, okay, and completely open. There we don't, we don't control temperature. Uh, pH we control it, but in a really, really rough way. Uh, Nutrients, of course, of course, we control it, but also we don't control light. The two most important, okay, aside of the nutrients, but the two more important parameters that you have to focus when you're growing algae is light and temperature. So in the raceways, we don't control that. The use or why to, to produce microalgae use in these raceways is for low-value products, type of, I don't know, um, fertilizers for agriculture or the treatment of wastewater, something really, really cheap. And that's okay. because you don't control the conditions. Exactly. So the quality of your biomass is not going to be 100% pure. Yeah. Um, the beginning of this story is that when you, because at, at the end of the day, we are doing fermentations of algae, not a, ferm a process fermented, but we are using reactors. So it, this works like a kind of black box. Uh, we know the inputs, the cultural conditions that we know, and then we know the outputs. Of course, we know what is happening inside, no? The, yeah. the soils. But some, when you are growing algae in a really, really large scale, you have to play around with these inputs to obtain these outputs. And these inputs, that could be the cultural conditions, light, temperature, nutrients, will deviate the metabolism of your algae towards the product that you are looking for. Mm -hmm. In the raceways, unfortunately, you cannot control all these conditions. Yeah. During the day, they are more light, less light. Now it's rain. It's raining. Now no. Temperature change and so on. So uh, you use that for something cheap. That can be for agriculture. Can be for wastewater treatment. For these type of things. Yeah. Okay. Later in the other in the in the other stream of this range of different uh, reactors are tubulars. They are like really really long tubes, completely closed, made of glass generally, in which you control really really well everything. 
everything, 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 and you obtain a really high quality product. product. Yeah. yeah. So these type of reactors generally are meant for for pharma industry because you are looking for something really expensive for pigments production. Most of the colors that we use in food industry are coming from microalgae. The blue okay. colors, I don't know, sugar or candies with blue colors. So yeah. generally from microalgae. From and then when you were mentioning flat panel, that is the middle point. Yeah. Okay. That is something that needs to be medium high quality, but at the same time cheap to make the reactor and also cheap for operating the reactor. Yeah. So there is not a real reactor. The perfect reactor doesn't exist. No. Okay. So depending on your product, depending on your of the market. Yeah. So if you were to use microalgae as a food product, which technology would it be? I will go because it's going to be, if the ideally is for, that is also a good question. Uh, for food, I mean, microalgae for food, uh, nowadays, currently, there's a lot of a lot of companies that are producing spirulina yes. or chlorella. Yeah. They are doing in open ponds. Okay. Why? Because I was saying, no, railways is for, for low products, so mm -hmm. low value products. Because specifically, uh, spirulina, for instance, grows uh, or likes a really high pH. Yeah. So also it's possible to grow food with extremophile uh, organics, microorganisms. So in that case, it's even more profitable from an economic point of view. That you have a really extreme environment, nothing is going to grow there, so why going for really expensive reactors? Do it in something cheap. And then the, the margin of profits are high. Yeah, high. Chlorella is the same. It's not an extremophile, but chlorella grows really, really fast. So at the end of the day, overcome other bacteria, other algae. So you have a really high, pure culture of chlorella. Oh, if we are speaking another strain that doesn't grow so fast or doesn't like extreme pH or soil concentrations and so on, I will choose for going for, for tubular reactors. Right. Okay. So, but everything at the end is pulling by the economics. Everything. If your product is shows a really high value pro, um, value in the market, invest money for giving high quality product. Yeah, but then if you use open ponds for the mycology, if you want to use it as food, do you have to process it, or can it be because it, the quality is very low? Depending of the mycology. Uh, with the spirulina or chlorella, it's not necessary. So uh, people ask me, Rafael, can I grow spirulina at home? You can perfectly. You can do it perfectly. There are going to be contaminations there. Yeah. yeah. But the amount of biomass that you are going to generate is going to be really, really higher regarding this small amount of bacteria. Right. Because of the conditions, the exactly, high pH exactly, and the conditions exactly. where they grow. So, perfectly. Even the, the spirulina that we buy in the market of chlorellas, they don't have a further process after that. You cultivate your algae, you obtain the kilograms that you think is good for, for the market, yeah. and then what they do is just a centrifugation and a freeze dry. So you have at the end a pill. Yeah. But perfectly, you can eat the microalgae completely fresh. 
this to my college. Okay. Yeah. I don't want I don't want that to take home message for the people who <laughs> I can eat whatever green thing that I see in yeah. the water. No, don't the... do that because generally the the generality in the microbial world is like a lot of them they produce toxic compounds in order to get rid of other competitors in the environment. So Please, guys, don't go and eat whatever. So spirulina and chlorella are the And then the exceptions nowadays, what I was telling you at the beginning, is a race that started 150 years ago, more or less. They are more or less discovered around 38,000, 40,000 uh, species of microalgae. And they think that there still there are hundreds of thousands of the species to describe. Yeah. Nowadays, the in the market there are for, for human feed there are basically two. Yeah. Spirulina and chlorella. Yeah, so you see that the field is really really high to or uh, big to discover to discover to produce and yeah. so on. Yeah. Okay, uh, and you were talking about the difference between the engineering community and the biologist community when for when uh, for the reactors and everything. And what exactly did you mean by that? No, it's just a, a matter of background. It's like a matter that um, engineers uh, are really really important in this story. They generally uh, in a really rough way. Okay, but. They're generally focused in the in the design of the reactors, okay? Because as light is the most important to bracket nutrients yeah. for the algae, it's important to to provoke a perfect environment inside of the reactor in such a way that the algae, the cells, has a lot of light there, a lot of access to the nutrients, and so on. Okay. But there's also another part there that is the biologic part, that is that. In biology, because at the end of the day, this is a biology system. Yeah. Things doesn't things don't work in a, such a way that one plus one is equal to. Yeah. In biology, it's a science, but inside of a cell, there are so many reactions at the same time, so many genes involved, so many. That it's quite difficult to say, okay, if I put this light, if I my set point is this light, this pH, I'm going to obtain. Mandatory, this. Yeah, it doesn't that really the, work like exactly. that. Exactly. That is the biology part of saying no, because inside of the metabolism, there is this metabolic pathway that is going to affect this, there is an inhibition data. Yeah. So it's like a really, don't, don't get it wrong, really friendly discussion from two different worlds. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that improves the, 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 the exactly the, the field. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we know that microalgae contains a lot of protein and mm -hmm. vitamins like vitamin B12. Do you know how these are processed in our body and if we can absorb and use everything? You can absorb perfectly. That is not a problem. The only, the only drawback, okay, I mean the composition, the amino acids, the vitamin 12, the whatever vitamins, your, your body are going to absorb it and use it without any further modification. Yeah. The only problem is that they are veget brackets again, vegetables. Yeah. So you need to break this cell wall. Okay, so in the stomach, you know that the pH is quite low and they will open this this cell wall. But not all the nutrients are going to be released. Yeah. It's something similar like lettuce. When you eat lettuce, mm -hmm. 
you are not getting profit of everything that no. is inside because yeah. we don't have the enzymes. It's the same story. Okay. Minerals, vitamins, they are going to release, but not all of the energy inside of the of the algae is going to be from It's your going body. to be absorbed. Yeah. But it, they work, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so now going more to the consumer side, we're thinking about the perception of consumers having microalgae in their food. And we uh, looked into literature and we saw that they had a rather positive perception. Mm -hmm. When you talk to people about your job, do you have this feeling as well? or? Yeah, really, yes. Mm. People nowadays, there's like a kind of shift in the in the mindset and yeah. wanting to be more vegan, more environmental friendly mm -hmm. and so on. So yes, there is this change. I see this change. Above all, in all people. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow, that's, uh, a, yeah, that's no, very exactly, interesting. Exactly, yeah. no, because I'm speaking about my mom. She's 70 or... She's really prone to, I don't know if it's, she's scared of death or whatever, but she's really <laughs> prone to, let's try new things because I want to live more. No? Okay. So people are, their mindset, they're thinking, okay, let's try new things. Okay. What happens? And I'm going to be honest with this. Espirulina doesn't taste. No. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't have so, a nice taste. Exactly, exactly. That is the, uh, there are companies that are, doing cookies with a bit of spirulina yes. but not completely made of spirulina no because let's, let's be let's face the truth the taste is really disgusting, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> disgusting. they have really positive quality in the food the yeah. taste once i tried for instance to do a, a paella with spirulina <laughs> I had to throw away the, the completely paella. It was green because I, that the problem is that I put too much spirulina. Oh, so yeah. the taste was. I was in a moment of artist to say, okay, it's going to taste like the sea and blah blah. Yeah. But for instance, in, in Cadiz, in Andalusia, there is a, a chef yeah. called the chef from the sea, chef from the sea, no? mm -hmm. a chef del mar, and he's using spirulina. Yeah. And it's quite famous. And so you're so, starting to develop and integrate so, more in the diets. So I'm pretty sure that the, the, in the moment that people will see in these high expensive restaurants the use of spirulina, clorella, yeah. people will start saying, ah, like something really poshy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. high quality exactly, product. Exactly. And exactly. then it becomes trendy. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But I also have to say that I see the use of microalgae for, for food more like an additive yeah. rather than like a main meal for people. No? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see more in that like exactly additives. Yeah. So these, this kind of leads us to our last question because... Um, we know that right now, Clorera and Spirulina are used as food additives, but um, considering the sustainability, the costs, the time it takes to produce it, the taste also, do you think it can be considered as a food for the future? I uh, think so. Honestly, I think so. Um, because even nowadays, not directly, but in an in indirect way, They, have been, they are already using the food industry. Yeah. For instance, for agriculture, 
all the first, also there is a, 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 a change in the mindset of the agricultures to, to go for more organic fertilizers and so on. So nowadays, algae are already used for that, for biostimulants and to reduce the, the use of chemicals that at the end of the day, the chemicals come from petrol. Yeah. So in such a way, they are already present there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I see what I told you before, that it's going to be, step by step, it's going to be more in our tables for, for it. To eat. But, to eat, exactly. But on the other hand, I don't see, or it's something that I'm not going to see to in a menu, yeah. to ask for a soup of spirulina. No. Going to be... So, yeah. There are also, we have uh, these companies there, they ask us in the past to start in projects and collaborations, I don't know, to use small amounts of spirulina, chlorella, or this protein fraction for beers, for, right. for yogurts. Yeah. So there is something there that is moving, that is going to happen. So it would be as an additive, you, you think it would be used more and more as an additive? That is my personal, yeah. really, really personal yeah, 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 point yeah. of view, okay? But I think, yes, it will be used more like the additive, colorants for the food, mm -hmm. uh, minerals, vitamins, more in that direction. Okay, yeah. I think so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you very much for taking the time to answer your questions. Welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. So, nothing. Really glad to, to speak with you. This interview was really interesting. What did you think of what he said? What I mainly took up from the interview is that microalgae could be used as a food for the future, but as an additive. So spirulina and chlorella are already more and more present in fertilizer. And Raphael expects that this will be introduced slowly in our diets as additives. That's true. And this also corresponds to our findings of the literature research we did. Thank you for listening to the Food of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support novel and creative food sources, please share it with others. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.